This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. We interrupt this podcast with a message from our sponsor. I'm going to guess that you have spent at least one hour in the past week watching cats do adorable things on the internet, and who can blame you? Cats are darn cute. Here at Le Shot Club, or the Cat Club as our American patrons like to say, we are obsessed with cats. Everything in our store is covered in cats. Need a hat? How about a cat hat with cute little ewes? Need a bathroom rug? How about one shaped like a cat that purrs when you step on it? Need pot holders? How about cat pot, cat pot holders? They even meow, which will be sure to get your live cats all in a tizzy. Anything you can dream of, we have it. With cats. This week and this week only, Le Chat Club has a special offer for Talking Fast listeners. Bring in a picture of your own wee gremlin, and we will put it on whatever piece of merchandise you choose for 50% off. That means you can have little Fluffy Boop staring at you from the face of a clock, or a pillow with McPooper's face right on it. You can even bring in a picture of your black cat to be put onto a toilet seat cover. When you stare into the void and the void stares back, you know you've got a cat. Don't miss this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to show your appreciation for your favorite feline friend. Welcome to another episode of Talking Fast, a Gilmore Girls podcast. I'm Suzanne. And I'm Alexis. And we're two longtime fans of the show, and we're excited to rewatch and recap it along the way. Hello, everyone. We are here to discuss all of season one. <laughs> And as a bit of housekeeping before we get started, after season one, we'll be taking off a few weeks to work on some new things that we'll be excited to bring to you for our season two. And our episode where we begin to cover season two will air on April 19th. So mark your calendars. Yeah, I'm so excited for season two. Mm -hmm. um, in the meantime, feel free to keep reaching out to us over email we're at TalkingFastPodcast at gmail.com or on Instagram at TalkingFastPodcast. In the in-between time before season two, we might just have some fun things coming on Instagram if we can get our act together. <laughs> and don't forget to write us a review on Apple Podcasts. We, I obsessively refresh them. so <laughs> I do too. And we love each one. With the exception of one, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho. Everybody's got that one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so last time we were recording, we were gushing over the season one finale and season one in general. So I'm looking forward to unpacking a bit of our, our final thoughts and memories as we kind of close the chapter on this first season. And we're going to go through some listener gazebo moments as well we received plenty and we're going to do our best to fit in as many as possible throughout our episode i'm so excited i 
still can't believe that a we actually completed the first full season and b Mm -hmm. there are also so many things that i just like forgot or don't Mm -hmm. notice in my annual rewatch mostly because i'm just binging it and also scrolling instagram at the same time so i'm excited to look back at things yeah as we were recapping season one about halfway through we both started to say we couldn't remember what was coming up (laughs) at all and I was shocked to find that I found the second half to be like a really solid season of writing like really strong episodes so many through lines we were able to track and I was just really admiring (laughs) as far as season ones go you know like I think I think we'll agree that we're looking forward to like two and three and whatnot, Mm -hmm. but this is still such a really solid season one of a show. Like so much of the tone that like the mission statement, I don't know, it was also (laughs) there and ready to be like improved upon in the upcoming seasons, you know? Yeah. I've noticed that with a lot of shows that I really like, like I was just thinking of Parks and Recreation, which is another show that I have rewatched many times. The first season is good, but especially at the very beginning, the characters aren't quite what they become. Yeah. And things really start to solidify. Like, by season three, I think that's usually the best season of many shows, so Mm -hmm. we're getting there. And I think that was really true. We noted it a few times at the beginning of the season that some characteristics just didn't seem to like jive with how we remembered the characters Mm -hmm. and how they interacted and then by the end of the season I really felt like we were getting what we were used to so yeah like the character of Kirk is like the the key example of that where he literally had a different name at first (laughs) Nick will never forget you And a different kind of personality and a different role even. And toward the end, we started to get that kind of like odd job, oddball (laughs) kind of Kirk that we Mm -hmm. know and love. Some of us know and love. Some know and hate or be annoyed. (laughs) Do any people really hate Kirk? I don't know. That seems... I have seen people (laughs) who have been annoyed. They're kind of like over his whole thing. And I don't agree, but... (laughs) <laughs> I I vehemently disagree. I love Kirk. He's nice. like, we need, if you had this whole show without some of those characters like Kirk and Miss Patty and like Taylor, Suki and Jackson even, yeah, and Taylor, yeah. the show would be so serious, even with the humor that the Gilmore Girls themselves bring. This mm-hmm. year, show would just be so serious and it would lose so much of its charm. Yeah, seriously. I was just watching Brigadoon. Did you ever watch that no, show? I've never seen that. It's about a couple that like gets lost in a musical <laughs> in a town mm-hmm. and they have to like discover true love before they're allowed to leave again. But anyways, it's like a town full of different like classic musical characters or like archetypes. And it had me thinking about Stars Hollow because we've discussed a bit recently how Stars Hollow feels like a a musical or that it would exist Mm -hmm. within the same world of musicals and there's that like it's a really interesting line between the what feels real like real people and what feels slightly not real a little more magical in a way and I think characters like Kirk 
are central to that vibe <laughs> of Stars Hollow. Like, it doesn't yeah. really make sense that one person would have all of these jobs inexplicably, never within the plot, like, <laughs> written or explained, but they all agree that it is how it is, and they all, they're all jobs <laughs> that make sense, like, they're actual jobs, so it's like, he's to- his character toes that line, but is, like, the the true, like, essence of Stars Hollow is there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I need to watch that. (laughs) Okay, speaking of characters, we've discussed Kirk. What are some other favorite characters of yours from season one? We discussed this a bit at our mid-season episode. Have they remained similar or changed throughout the second half? I think they've remained the same, more or less. (laughs) For me, I think Suki and Jackson... (laughs) are still two of my favorite characters. They're still my favorite couple, I think. Mm-hmm. And Taylor is still a favorite character. I think, honestly, I think I've liked Lorelai. Not that I ever don't like Lorelai, obviously, but I liked her more in the second half of the season than the first half of the season. And I think it was mm-hmm. because she really started to become more like the Lorelai I remember from the other seasons. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, I don't know that there's really been that much change. If anything, this season just like solidified my favorites. <laughs> what yeah. about you? Did you have any changes? Well, first, I could add in a listener's gazebo moment uh, <laughs> because someone else agrees that uh, about the whole fantastical character of Suki. And there, this listener's gazebo moment is about one of the very first scenes in the pilot that we see of the show in general and of Suki's character. And so this listener writes that their gazebo moment is Suki coming, cooking in the kitchen. And it includes several orchestrated mo- movements of her being clumsy and her assistants protecting her. It starts with her trying to clever, cleaver a pepper. Cut a pepper. Yeah. <laughs> and someone Please. pulls her bloody bandaged hand away before she hacks herself. Wow. <laughs> Another tosses a rag on a hot sauce pan handle just before she grabs it. It ends with Lorelai coming into the kitchen and Sookie bonks Mike in the face with a frying pan. Most of this is done in one continuous take with a handheld camera as it moves from one side of Sookie to behind the shelves and ends up 180 degrees in the opposite direction. This listener was impressed by the choreography, coordination, and camera work done for the pilot. And I agree completely. I love how orchestrated the clumsiness is, and I think that would actually be something really difficult to portray. So I, like... I applaud the directing and the camera work and uh, Melissa McCarthy herself. And I think it's a nice bookend because we were just talking about also how the season finale had really well done camera work as well. And so it's nice to see these like starting and finishing touches that the Paladinos are able to put on their episodes. Yeah, I would be interested to hear how much of that, like, how rigorous the choreography was for that. Because I think it's Mm -hmm. true. Like, how can you convincingly portray clumsiness? That's such a hard thing because it's so, like, in the moment. And I Mm -hmm. think that, like, physical comedy, usually I'm not a huge fan of physical comedy, but in some cases, like in this case, it's just done so well. And it's 
it's funny, but it also is character building. Totally, totally. My favorite, in terms of my own favorite characters, they have remained very much the same. Um, I, Emily is such a rich character to me. I mean, in terms of money, <laughs> literally, as well as her personality. I just love, I really like Emily. I mean, sorry, Kelly Bishop as an actor. Mm-hmm. The like, I just love how straight faced she can be with the sarcasm and the wit coming through, like the cutting that like she could just cut someone down and and she intimidates me as a viewer. And I really like when we see her, the like softer moments with within her that gives you a clue to like the kind of deep pain she's holding within her. And I just love the Edith Wharton of it all that she brings in of all of these like society rules that just fascinate me. I don't know why, but they do. <laughs> yeah, they're so complex. Which reminds mm-hmm. me, you still need to watch The Gilded Age if you haven't. I Listeners do. as I do. well. <laughs> it's a great show about that. But there's also, I think, a listener gazebo moment that I could add to, to your um adoration of emily (laughs) and this listener wrote in about the episode forgiveness and stuff Mm. and they said um their gazebo moment is not the one that most would pick in this episode which i think we at the same also had trouble picking favorite moments in this episode because it was so sad (laughs) Mm -hmm. there were so many emotional moments but Mm -hmm. they say Um, It's when Emily stepped out of Richard's hospital room with his Brooks Brothers bow tie and sat down with Luke. She talked about how she didn't want him to loosen it because she wanted him to look nice, so he didn't. She said the paramedics took it off on the way to the hospital. Um, And the listener says, why did I pick this important scene? My father wore bow ties and tied it just like Richard, and my father also had a heart attack when he had his bow tie on. Um, He was in his office. As my father told it, yes, he did survive, as the listener says. (laughs) The paramedics took the trouble of taking it off because they thought it was a clip-on tie. Um, So this scene reminds... They had trouble taking it off. Oh, they had trouble, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so this scene reminds the listener of their father, who they lost 30 years ago. And I think that this was a great gazebo moment to hear from a listener just because it reminds us that, like, this show and the events might often seem kind of unrealistic, kind of out there and, you know, um, stars Halloween in a different kind of universe type of way. <laughs> mm-hmm. But there are so many similarities and so many like real life events that happen in it. And the like the poignancy of how they're portrayed in the show still really carry over really well to people, people's own experiences um, mm-hmm. of, this, of similar things. So I liked hearing this really personal take on a scene, which I think might have been a scene that you had picked um, as either a gazebo moment or just noted it, especially when we yeah. talked about this. Yeah, I definitely, I distinctly recall this scene. And I, yeah, thank you, listener, for sharing this personal reflection. And I think I agree with what you're saying, Suzanne. It's like the... um the juxtaposition of like that lofty magical stars hollow with the really grounded realistic interpersonal like family Mm -hmm. friend romantic drama 
and not even always drama, but simply just portrayal of those relationships that I think makes the show so appealing to a wide variety of listeners and well viewers even though it's not always like uh all-encompassing in its representation Mm -hmm. of individuals as we've discussed many times but still the poignant representation of emotional ties like that I think is what still makes it wide-ranging despite its shortcomings (laughs) Mm -hmm. in one way maybe yeah yeah, it's why 21 years later, people are still re-watching this show, watching it for the first time, making podcasts about it, <laughs> you know, posting on Reddit, <laughs> Facebook groups, mm-hmm. etc. <laughs> so many things. I don't want to spend too much time in the negatives, but were there any least favorite characters you had as well before, you know, while we're talking about characters? <laughs> I... Just, you you know who I'm going to say here. Mm -hmm. I should have Uh, framed it as a statement. (laughs) Please share your least favorite character. (laughs) Tristan is terrible. Um, And I I think when I probably first watched the the series and like probably until the last five years or so, I didn't really put much weight on his character or his actions. I just thought it was there and annoying. But I've started to really notice, like, just how damaging romanticizing him is and can be for people in their actual lives. And yes, he's very cute and like a teen heartthrob and everything. But the way he treats Rory is just absolutely terrible. Yeah, there's nothing forgivable about him. I completely agree. I remember that we were really troubled in the first few episodes by the very like romanticizing of what we identified as very like unhealthy patterns of dating essentially like I still think back to random guy in Luke's (laughs) very very first episode of the show that plays constantly when I'm trying to pick out the episode on Netflix it just auto plays that guy being like I hate that guy Then there's that dad who hits on Lorelai. And then uh, we've got, like, other, you know, like, we've got with Dean, who's sometimes okay, sometimes not. And then Tristan is, like, the really far end of, like, the worst side of the spectrum of just guys who do not take no for an answer, who do not respect personal boundaries, who think that like almost stalking or aggressive pursuit is sexy and hot and it's like I think of yeah it's just it's troubling (laughs) and it's not like an enjoyable part of the show to watch and is definitely something that feels dated I'm not gonna pretend that our like gender dynamics have progressed like perfectly since then but I do see different narratives of romance much more often on tv and movies now yeah I also think it's just so disappointing how much of an impact he had on the budding friendship of Paris and Rory seriously which which is like it's gonna be such a great thing and I we saw so many hints of it in this season especially the second half of the season and then it was all brought down just by Tristan. It was so, so disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we actually have a listener gazebo moment 
to go along with this as well, just to add some Yay. more voices. So, fun. <laughs> so this listener wrote in about the concert Interruptus episode, and they said, I really liked the moment when Rory stands up to Madeline and Louise when they want to take off. It reminds me of a lot of times in high school and college when I just didn't want to do the same stuff as friends for whatever reasons. And sometimes the hardest thing is staying true to yourself, especially when you're trying to make new friends. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I I really like this gazebo moment. I think that it really matches with the kind of dynamic that we see at the beginning of the Rory Paris friendship um, and with the kind of difficulties of navigating new friendships. <laughs> yeah, and just also the difficulties of navigating adolescence of like Mm -hmm. being a teenager and we've commented on also Rory's growing confidence and her ability to stand up for herself and I think that was one of the shining moments where it was like you go girl you I think easily Rory could be like because she is a bit quieter a bit more bookish a little more introverted it can be easy when you are those things to get like pushed over or pushed around a bit and it's hard (laughs) to stand up for yourself especially with like charismatic and pushy kind of people like Madeline Louise so I I agree this was a upstanding moment for Rory. This also not to talk more about Harry Potter especially with JK Rowling again being a a dick um as we've come to expect from her but it reminds Mm -hmm. me of a scene at the the first harry potter book when neville is lauded for standing up to his friends and ted points for (laughs) neville (laughs) yeah make me cry (laughs) Uh, neville i yeah love that moment in that movie despite everything else (laughs) yeah i agree i can't wait to see what i so obviously i know what happens but i can't wait to like rewatch and talk about the next things that happen with Paris and Rory um, because Mm -hmm. it's gonna be great that's all I can say (laughs) I completely agree okay moving forward to some of the other highlights of season one we've discussed some favorite characters now I'm curious if you have a favorite episode or any memorable episodes i won't limit i won't limit you to just one (laughs) i definitely do have a favorite episode and it's the um love and war and snow episode Mm -hmm. i think i mentioned it when we were talking about that episode many moons ago yes Um, yeah but it lives in my memory and just like the the snow obsession i love Sadly, this winter, snow was not a friend of mine, um, as sometimes it isn't for Lorelai, but I still love winter. Mm-hmm. And I feel like most shows, this show included, love autumn, and autumn is great, spring is great, summer is eh, a little bit too hot, <laughs> but winter <laughs> needs a little bit more love, and I love winter, it's my favorite season, and I just love that Lorelai also loves it. But this, that episode also had so many good, just like, moments in it. The Max Medina showing up moment, Mm -hmm. the Rory bonding with her grandparents stuff. It was just, it's just a great episode. 
Yeah, the reenactors yeah. in the in the town yes. square with Luke being crabby but loving to them. That is such a good episode and such a good portrayal of Winter as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know if there's any other show that has as much interest in seasons actually as Gilmore Girls. I haven't yeah. really thought too much about that before, but like seasons are actually quite important to the show in terms of its aesthetics and they even then use it as a like a narrative device for the revival naming each Mm -hmm. episode after a season it's like very unique I feel or sorry I shouldn't say very unique just it's unique (laughs) I feel (laughs) yeah it definitely is it kind of gives like I don't know more of a purse it gives the seasons and stars hollow characters within the show like they actually impact what happens within the show directly rather than Mm -hmm. just being kind of settings Mm -hmm. which is very cool and adds to that kind of other universe type (laughs) of feeling for stars hollow Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. there are also two more gazebo moments from listeners i'd want to bring up in this this discussion (laughs) oh yeah i'll read one Another listener also commented on the Love and War and Snow episode, which I think testifies to its like iconic presence within the, the canon of Gilmore Girl episodes. <laughs> and this listener shared that they like in that episode when Lorelai opens all the windows in the morning and it smells like snow and she listens to the message from Max over and over under the blanket. And as I read that gazebo moment, I can just picture that <laughs> yeah. in my mind. Can it's even... just such a sweet moment. Yeah. You can even feel like the cold air coming through the window. Mm-hmm. Which I normally don't like <laughs> because <Well. laughs> I then need blankets upon blankets in my house. That's... And my gas bill is really high right now. Oh, yeah, but when I turn on this episode, I forget all about that for like about 40 to 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I love that Lorelai romanticizes snow and she gets the opportunity to actually have a romantic date in the snow. Mm-hmm. It's very nice. Very lucky for her. Very good for her. <laughs> yeah. There was another gazebo moment that I think kind of has to do with our talk about the importance of the seasons. Mm-hmm. And so this listener sent in a general <laughs> gazebo moment. Um, They said, I really like all the festivals. Um, I don't know if this is too broad, uh, but there was one that was the Firelight Festival. Everyone is cozy and having a good time. And it's a nice small town vibe. And this one, I think, was a spring festival, but we also had a festival in the fall, the Autumn Festival, Mm -hmm. which in Mm -hmm. this season was tied with Thanksgiving. But in future seasons, I don't think it is, but we still get a whole bunch of autumn vibes. And yeah, that's there is pretty much a festival for every single season. Yeah, it conveys an interesting like feeling of stasis of the town. Like everything remains the same. Reliably, there's always the same festivals that almost feels a bit like the story Sleepy Hollow, you know, like a little, a town that's kind of asleep in a way and everything else in the world is like energetic and busy and modern and whatnot. But here in the small town is like, um, kind of like under a magical spell almost in a way. Um, 
that I think is an interesting connection potentially. But then the the, the festivals and season also give a sense of time passing Mm -hmm. too, though. Like it's always moving forward, always another festival, another season. Their lives are progressing. Um, I don't know if I'm too deeply analyzing (laughs) seasons and festivals, but I think it's it contributes to the feeling we have when we watch the show, I think, of the coziness in a way. Yeah, I agree. We also, I've noticed not this isn't something that we are the only people who feel, but that this is like kind of an autumn show, like a show that people start rewatching every fall or something. And I think that's mm-hmm. really partly because of their emphasis on the seasons and the festivals and all that. Right. That That's why, like, we even thought to start a podcast because it is a shared cultural practice mm-hmm. <laughs> that so many people who watch TV at least, like, go for a yearly rewatch of Gilmore Girls at that time of year. And if it wasn't the case, we never prob. I mean, we probably wouldn't have texted each other to be like, I'm about to start my rewatch <laughs> and then thought, well, why don't we just record our thoughts <laughs> while yeah. we do it? Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Okay, what about, so we've talked a lot about the characters so far. Um, What about some of the storylines or like the themes that you've, that we've like noted throughout and that you think have um, been really significant in this first season? I would say there are a couple. One I would highlight because she just left um, is Rachel and pairing that also with Christopher. And this is thinking about especially the second half of the season, what was something momentous. I think the like arrival of the exes mm-hmm. <laughs> was exciting, but it also, more importantly, was important to the storylines that were going on. Um, it helps for like the slow burn of Luke and Lorelai because their whole thing was paused when Rachel arrived, Lorelai and Christopher, you see Rory, like all of that new family dynamic was really interesting to see. And we know we're going to see him more. And we know we need to get used to the whole unexpected arrival thing. (laughs) Uh, So I think that was important that it established that pattern of Christopher's almost. Yeah, and that he arrives at the worst possible times. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> For specifically Luke and Lorelai <laughs> mm-hmm. to get together. Yeah, that's that's really true. I had forgotten a lot of Christopher's first show showing on this season. I like I knew he came, I knew he messed things up, but I didn't remember so much of the Strobe and Francine mm. debacle and like the hooking up on the terrace and everything. Um which was just reprised in the last episode when Lorelai told Max about it. I mm-hmm. wonder if that'll come up again, but um, yeah, Christopher is just a train wreck for Lorelai and her love life. Seriously. <laughs> I do have, not to interrupt our discussion more, but I have another gazebo moment that I noticed from a listener about... Um, Rachel specifically Mm. and so this gazebo moment was from the episode P.S. I love (laughs) they're so clever (laughs) with their titles it makes it very hard like yeah 
I had fun when I said that one (laughs) earlier. (laughs) Dot, dot, dot. So the listener says that Lorelai is so excited uh, dressing Luke up and he is so reluctant. It's like she's dressing up a doll. And this is the first time she's gotten to ever dress up a man. She's again doing whatever she wants and Luke submits to her and in walks Rachel. She struggles to understand why Lorelai is dressing him and likely why Luke would let her do that. She won't know how reluctant Luke was, but in any case, she knows that he let Lorelai do it. (laughs) And it brings up uh, painful memories of being caught doing something I shouldn't. (laughs) And this was great. I don't think we'd mention this when we talked about this, but the look on Lorelai and Luke's face when Rachel comes in, they both look like they were just caught in the act of, I don't know, like, shoplifting or like stealing something from their parents or doing some I don't know something much more terrible than what they were doing Mm -hmm. mostly because they knew uh how Rachel would see it which is a bit ironic because they've been doing this openly in the diner like Mm -hmm. there's just patrons there so it's not (laughs) even that they're doing this like dress up act in front of other people but that it's specifically Rachel Definitely a sign that it wasn't okay then. (laughs) It makes me think, though, like, it was in the diner. If they had been Mm -hmm. doing this up in Luke's apartment, that would have been way worse, I think. Totally. Because it would have had so many more implications, like, with his bed right there Mm -hmm. and, like, the private space. So it could have been worse. It could have been worse. (laughs) I'm sure that would comfort Rachel. (laughs) Yeah, of course. (laughs) But I have my alternate theory that rachel will be okay with um she'll like eventually find her way to christopher yeah (laughs) and they'll bond over being the exes that always get in the way but they'll be each other's like first choices so yeah that would be cool (laughs) then there would be a quadruple i don't know (laughs) Ooh, (laughs) sounds messy are there any other significant story story storylines that you would highlight I had one and it just like flittered out of my head. But I think um, something that we haven't talked too much about yet, but that's super significant, obviously, to the entire show is the like dredging up of childhood memories Mm -hmm. (laughs) between (laughs) Emily and Lorelai. And obviously, we've had no resolution whatsoever in season one with this. Um And it seems like the same things are brought up each and every time and there's no movement forward. We've kind of analyzed this pretty closely, I'd say, talking about how neither of them are seeing the other person's point of view. Lorelai thinks her mom is just judging her and um, just disappointed with her when really Emily is having like a deep loneliness kind of about it, a like sense of Mm -hmm. abandonment and Um, not being needed and we've kind of seen Rory step in to fill or to be to need Emily and make Emily feel like she has somebody to nurture and I'm interested to see how things repeat themselves (laughs) whether history just can continues to repeat itself and whether there's ever actually any step forwards between Lorelai and Emily because it did not seem to happen 
in all of season one. <laughs> right. When I was thinking about storylines, I did think about the building of the drama between the family members, particularly Lorelai and Emily. At times, Richard has been involved as mm-hmm. well. But when you, as just as you say, like there hasn't been resolution and there almost hasn't been progression either. Like it's the same fight, yeah. um, same details, same kind of shared fam- familial hurt from like their, when Lorelai was 16, essentially, which is really unique because I think so many other shows operate on the logic of like, your show has to constantly be going forward to something new, something new happens, something, etc. And this is like, this family is messed up and they're going (laughs) to keep talking about it in the same exact way Mm -hmm. and in the same kind of communication styles that are not working. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yet something about it just is like not delightful, I wouldn't say, but engaging perhaps is the word to describe it. Like every single time they fight about it, I'm still... It's almost like it's fresh or opening up the same wounds, really, but I'm always, like, listening and crying along. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting, like, what triggers it each time, because that might be the thing that changes, Mm -hmm. like, what is actually triggering both of them (laughs) at any given time. Yeah, and I think it speaks also to the idea that already in season one, there have, they, like, they are having progress like they they see each other so much more often like I remember being shocked in the earlier episodes when they described how they had never been to Lorelai's house or like they only saw them for holidays so this weekly dinner like they are seeing each other and interacting so much more but even as that like progress goes along it's like any small thing can send them right back (laughs) like and it's hard to put the you're like to pinpoint what will exactly happen there but yeah will they ever have peace (laughs) I just noticed that I talked about my favorite episode but what was your favorite episode from the season yeah it's it is related to what we've been discussing because one of my favorite episodes was Emily in Wonderland which was episode 19 where I did think it was fascinating to see Emily an outsider in Stars Hollow being immersed in Lorelai and Rory's life, uh, but also leading up to that really emotional scene where she sees where Lorelai and Rory lived while they were at um, the Independence Inn. And I felt like it was just another a clue as a way to understand Emily's character of like that deep like sense of loneliness and loss that you mentioned but also paired with the way that she immediately well not immediately but the way she lashes out at Lorelai later on in the episode by throwing her material wealth (laughs) at a room to say well I could provide for Rory better than you and how could you ever um, have like betrayed or turned your back on the family to live somewhere else that's like beneath what she judges to be acceptable So I just, it's like that episode packaged so much of like what can be so frustrating, but so like um, almost appealing in her character because it Mm -hmm. is that level of like emotional depth of like psychological complexity that I just love to see in a, in a character, in a show. Yeah. (laughs) She's simultaneously wrong 
and right most of the time. Like she has <laughs> she has good motivation or like emotional motivations half of the time. Well, no, all of the time but they're intermixed with with mm-hmm. bad motivations and like just though the carry that their follow through of so much of it is just questionable. <laughs> Mm-hmm. which makes it so interesting <laughs> and kind of realistic in a way nobody ever actually addresses things the way they need to be addressed every single time <laughs> yeah yeah we interrupt this podcast with a message from our sponsor do you have an exciting occasion we're celebrating in an equally special location perhaps you have a long overdue date that Even though you're forcing your best friend to come to keep your date's cousin occupied, you'd still like to be romantic and intimate? Then come to Chez Fleur, the finest and only elegant French dining in Stars Hollow. At our restaurant, you'll be surrounded by elevated decor, including fireplaces, the finest linens, beautifully carved swans made out of butter, and copious arrangements of flowers corresponding to our name, of course. To maintain a a luxurious and upscale atmosphere, we've recently instituted a rule that patrons will not be allowed to behead the swans while dining in the restaurant. Beyond the unparalleled dining environment, we also offer the finest French cuisine. Despite the rumors spread by some jaded customers on Yelp, by patrons who, we might add, only ordered one martini and didn't even eat a meal, Our mussels are in fact the freshest around, and our carrots are selected from the very best grocers in the area. For our listeners of Talking Fast, we have an offer as special as our wonderful establishment. Upon passing through Coat Check, tell the maitre d' the special password, Fleur, and you will receive one of the following with your meal. A complimentary martini, a flower arrangement, or to-go butter swan. Once again, tell the maitre d' the password floor, and you'll receive a complimentary item of your choice. We interrupt this podcast with a message from our sponsor. These days, the world is very connected. Too connected. In fact, here at Kirk Industries, we believe the world needs to become less connected. And we have just the tool for that. Mix DSL will slow down your life giving you more time to stare into space or at very pixelated images. Waiting has become underrated, but Mixed DSL will give you back that feeling of anticipation and frustration that comes with being a step above dial-up. And Mixed DSL now has a special low-demand price for you to get DSL set up in your house. For only $75 a month, you can get DSL installed by an expert in DSL installation, Mick himself. And today, with the code TALKINGFAST, you can get 50% off the added $150 installation fee. To take advantage of this offer, call directly to 1-800-DSL-MICK. That's 1-800-DSL-M-I-C-K-MICK. And mention Talking Fast to our customer service representative, Kirk. That's code TALKINGFAST for a 50% discount on the installation fee for Mix DSL. Okay, we've talked so far about kind of some of the more serious things of the show that we've enjoyed mm-hmm. or, you know, 
wanted to talk about. (laughs) But we've also spent quite a bit of time throughout the season talking about some of the more uh, kind of just fun and uh, not necessarily very deep things, (laughs) Mm -hmm. including Mm -hmm. like the pop culture references and fashion and stuff like that that we've really enjoyed and uh, liked to note throughout the season. So what were some of the some of your favorite either pop culture references or um yeah just uh references or fashion choices or things that made you think of something else that showed up in the show that were fun more or less <laughs> yes i would say a couple of things first i was pleasantly surprised by all of the references to american writers mm-hmm. as that's you know aligned with what i study And that's, um, you don't always get references to like 19th century (laughs) American writers and other shows. So that was appealing to me. Uh, Secondly, I just admired the the function of pop culture references in the show. There have been so many, I honestly can barely tell you like what examples, but I think of the times of Rory and Lorelai talking and Lane and Rory talking and how so often pop culture is like the language that these people are speaking. It's their shared language and it is like the way they connect and communicate on a level that other people like myself can barely understand. (laughs) Like Lane and Rory talking about music. I don't know the music that they reference. I can't, I don't have the time to look it up, but I can just admire how in sync they are and think to the examples of my friends and I when we've had almost like insider language practically because it's so like niche to us and our friendship that I just really admire that. And I will say that I like it when it's done well. So far, I think it has been, but I do think they maybe use it as a bit of like a prop at times, like rather than, you know, having dialogue, it's like, let's just throw in some pop culture references or uh, like the revival handled pop culture in a kind of weird way, Mm -hmm. like trying to be relevant, I think. I'm not really sure, but overall, I really like the use of it and it is such a unique part of Gilmore Girls too. It's interesting that you mentioned that where the revival went wrong was in trying to be relevant. I think that's mm. true. The original Gilmore Girls series, the pop culture references were not relevant most of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like when we get relevant for this time period, musical references, it's Emily asking whether Rory wants in sync or Backstreet Boys and it's laughed exactly. at. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's not the point of the pop culture stuff. It's not Mm-hmm. for us to understand although it is fun to dig into them and like notice when you understand one of them it's yeah more to like portray the relationships of the characters I think that's like a risky thing for them to have done to mm-hmm. make the language of the characters speak to each other so potentially vague to the audience that we mm-hmm. could completely miss an entire conversation but the way that they get around it is by already having well-established relationships and we always know what's being said even if you don't understand the language which Mm -hmm. is uh, yeah a skill a unique thing 
I don't I don't think I've seen that in any other show. It's cool. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I've also thoroughly enjoyed talking about the fashion. I've noticed this yeah. weird thing <laughs> about myself. I'm not a fashionable person by any means. But when watching shows, I love pointing out fashion choices that I like. It's really, it's mm-hmm. a weird thing. <laughs> but I have really enjoyed enjoyed that with this show and how like important it is to character development with all of the different fashion choices. I'm thinking specifically of Suki and all of her colors all the time and also her like cooks outfits and stuff. It's been fun. <laughs> yeah, I've. I don't consider myself much of a fashionable person either. <laughs> and so it's been a a challenge sometimes to look for fashion, but I do like to like um you know aspiring taste yeah. right of like what I could wear if I gave more of a care. Yeah. <laughs> and I have enjoyed Lorelai's fashion and that might be stating, you know, going for a bit of the obvious. <laughs> But I really loved seeing her closet in that episode and how near and dear all of her clothes are to her, how she could barely sell, like, give any of them to the, uh, like, the rummage sale that she had organized. I really liked when we discussed um, the different sides of her style when she is at the Independence Inn, when she's at Friday night dinners, when she is more casual. I think there is just such a concrete sense of how important clothes are to Lorelai as a tool of expression. And that's why it was all the more, I think, like horrifying (laughs) when one of the like first scenes is how she wakes up late and is forced to like put together such a wacky outfit to go drop off Rory at Chilton. Um, And to that point, it brings in like one of the through lines of like the a bit of like the class analysis I think you can do with Gilmore pretty easily sometimes <laughs> in terms of how her fashion in that moment also marked her as someone of supposedly you know a different class than the mm-hmm. typical type of Chilton parent and that was such an early on I think scene and a way for us to read Lorelai's character and some of the struggles that like Rory may or may not face as Rory sort of being with one foot in both worlds of like identifying with her grandparents and the Chilton life but then also identifying with her life in Stars Hollow and her mom and the other kind of like values that have been instilled in her I don't know how I got from fashion to that but I think I made it work (laughs) no that's a great point and that's all that's something we've definitely talked a lot about Mm -hmm. is the impact of class and society on the arguments and everything between especially between Emily and Lorelai Mm -hmm. and the difference between Stars Hollow and yeah Hartford and Chilton (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know if we want to talk more about that or if we just I also wanted to just talk about our love of Stars Hollow and things that Mm -hmm. we find quintessentially stars hollow or favorite scenes or um people or uh even full episodes that seem just stars hollowy to us <laughs> we have our moment mm-hmm. our star- stars hollow uh, moments which is i guess we could make an entire episode of just those <laughs> yeah yeah before we started recording i told you about how i'm 
I've been making like my first mood board for something completely unrelated to the podcast, but I think I was immediately thinking about how I want to make like a million mood boards related to Gilmore Girls now. So much related to the large aesthetic and the quintessential vibe of Stars Hollow. So I think about, let me think about any example. Feel free to jump in if you have any examples. A gazebo moment actually from one of our listeners that I think fits in nicely with this. Perfect. Um, This is about the Donna Reed episode, and the listener says (laughs) they like the way that uh, Babette just pops over to see Rory, uh, to see if Rory can cat sit for her, and it's such a rare neighborly dynamic that so few of us get to experience anymore. Um, To me, it shows how intertwined and familiar everyone is in their town. Another moment that shows this is, uh, that shows this is when Suki lists the people that Lorelai could have called instead of Luke to help her find Stella. Um, They also note this, uh, another quirky quintessential Stars Hollow thing, which is Mrs. Patty raises chickens. (laughs) I I have so many questions about that. Like where? Um, Mm -hmm. But we also don't really know where she lives. We just see her studio. So yeah, I liked this um, gazebo moment. I think it really gets at like the, the crux of why Stars Hollow is how it is. It's because it's a neighborhood and mm-hmm. like in the truest sense of the word, which is something that, yeah, we really don't experience much anymore. <laughs> I I don't know if it's just because I've lived in apartments for so long, but like so often I recognize neighbors. Maybe I've talked to them once or twice, but we wouldn't have this kind of dynamic. So that's definitely something that I think is in the definition of Stars Hollow. For me totally i think there are certain recurring places that embody this feeling too like how important place i suppose is to go more girls and there are a few different like the kitchen mm-hmm. at the independence inn and luke's diner and like the gazebo although they don't go there quite as often as they remember <laughs> but uh like mrs kim's um there's recurring sets that represent so much more than just the physical space but the um comfort that they bring to us watching but also the space and comfort that they bring to the characters who inhabit them and like so many just friendship talks between Suki and lorelei in the kitchen and I suppose Lorelai and Rory's house is similar too with like their living room and their bedroom. Like I think I would geek out so much if I could go visit (laughs) those spaces, you know, those sets like because so much of the, so much of what we identify I think as the quintessential stars hollowness of the show is in those like different spaces. I agree. Plus the seasons, which we've already talked about all those things combined, and the weird characters, (laughs) all of it makes up a single place. (laughs) Yeah. And I've also noticed how you notice. I have less, I'm I'm worse at this. I like how you can pick up on like really small details, even objects, you know, in a scene. And it's like, 
you can boil it all down to a single little detail in the set, you know, where it's like, now that is Stars Hollow. That is something that would be on this show. It fits in. It conveys what it needs to. And I just feel like the Paladinos, maybe Amy Sherman Paladino, probably more so than Daniel, like curates Mm -hmm. such a scene, a a whole, like, it's like, this is what it is, you know, and we can recognize it, we see it, and it's like, yeah. Yeah. That just made me think, I have been watching the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel Maisel show to keep up with you, and it reminds Mm -hmm, me mm -hmm. of the Pyrex dishes in Midge's apartment yeah those pink pyrex dishes are Mm -hmm. so significant (laughs) Mm -hmm. like the small details throughout all the shows yeah yeah like i totally heard her pyrex dishes is such a good example of that just just like lorelei and rory's charlie's angels plates (laughs) they mean something (laughs) to them i guess (laughs) yes yeah 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 (laughs) Um, did we want to talk about any of our, like, overarching critiques or... I think we could just maybe simply touch on some critiques that were recurring and that we plan to keep an eye out for in season two as well. So I'm sure, you know, season two will bring its own fresh horrors <laughs> for us to critique. Um, I think something we brought up already briefly was the whole whiteness of the show i mentioned slightly earlier about how it's in terms of representation gilmore girls is not you know getting an a plus mm-hmm. <laughs> um and also then the very kind of off color jokes that we've begun to notice more mm-hmm. in the second half of the season in particular the there's been a bit of homophobia of like fat phobia a disregard for like the seriousness of mental illness, Mm -hmm. different things like that, that I think will sadly continue to see in the next season. I hope not, but I mean, let's be real. Yeah. And also just the possessiveness of men over women. I Mm -hmm. have a feeling from my psychicness that we might see this come up a bit more in season two. Um, And I think we'll have a lot to talk about there. That kind of began with Tristan and a bit with Dean. So we'll see what happens. Mm -hmm. But not to bog down our fun review too much. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's kind of a penultimate fun thing for us to end with. Mm -hmm. We've talked a little bit about some alternate universe theories. One of your most famous ones has been (laughs) the thruple between Mm -hmm. Luke Lorelai and... Rachel um but is there any other alternate universe theory you have like whether if a storyline had gone just a slightly different way or if a character had done something different or anything like that that you would want to (laughs) propose to the Netflix spinoff people yes I do have a couple ideas I'll try not to go off for too long no (laughs) Uh, but I'll share one to start I was thinking as I've been watching Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and you might be aware of this fact. I feel like it's not a secret. But Alex Borstein, who plays Susie, is a main character in that. She was originally cast as Sookie and played oh. Sookie in the pilot episode. 
And she is even married, well, she was married to Jackson Douglas for many years. They're divorced now. Um, but she had a contract issue with another like network, so she wasn't able to play Sookie in the rest of the show. And so my theory is not really much of a theory, but just like imagining what it would have been like. I mean, it's so hard to imagine anyone but Melissa McCarthy playing Sookie, and I feel like it would have been a different character, like much closer to Susie and Maisel, like a bit, maybe like a really brusque chef <laughs> or like who would kind of be an interesting uh like interesting friend to Lorelai because they would have such different personalities almost like you know Midge and Susie in a way uh so then I was imagining if it's more of a Susie like Sookie what would that be how to affect the rest of the storylines it'd be interesting if she did continue to like marry Jackson because they were married in real life or if I think it would be even cooler if it would be more of like an asexual kind of take on Sookie because that's how I often read Susie mm-hmm. in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Um, so that would totally change because Gilmore can be so much about the romance sometimes to have one of the major characters have been asexual would have been interesting or last component of this theory is that since Luke was initially cast as a woman too mm-hmm. and then they changed that, I th- it could have been cool if Sookie and Luke, as as both women, could have been like a lesbian couple, the two chefs <laughs> of the show. And they could have butt heads because they're such different styles as we see Luke and Suki do. I think that would have been totally cool. Like two lesbian chefs, one is more of the diner home style variety, the other is like the fine chef type and like their lives together. So that's oh, my been, first theory. <laughs> this would have been such a different show. I had no idea that yeah. those that they were cast that way originally. Mm-hmm. That changes so much in my mind. I know. <laughs> I had also... I have a, another character who... This doesn't change the actual trajectory of the show, but who I've also often thought of as asexual. And this is probably just personal projection, but I... <laughs> I think Taylor is an asexual character, and I think he could use a lot more exploration um, mm-hmm. generally because he's got a lot of weirdness um, to be, uh, I guess, pulled out and looked at in more detail just about his relationship to the town and everything. But I've often often thought of him as like the, I don't know, an asexual character. I just like that for him. Mm-hmm. He also never has any love interest or anything like that, so that just seems to fit. He's uh, mm-hmm. famously an uncle, as we find out in one episode. And so, <laughs> Yeah, I think it, it, it can be a strength and both a weakness of Gilmore Girls. Um, like, there can be such an emphasis on romance, mm-hmm. but then there's also a lot about alternative relationships that are not romantic or sexual and I've thought mostly about like friendship in those lines or um alternate like forms of parenting like how so many people in the town kind of parent Rory uh but to think of like Taylor his main relationship being like the town itself (laughs) and that's why he can be so intense about it I think is really interesting yeah I can't think of any specific alternate universe theories. I'm sh- I definitely know that I've had them at some point, but they aren't coming to mind. 
So mm-hmm. I'll keep them in mind for next time. <laughs> I've got I've got another one. Okay. Shoot. <laughs> I was going I was feeling creative this afternoon. Um okay, so in this alternative alternate universe, it is Logan instead of Tristan that Rory meets at Chilton. Uh-huh. So like the preppy annoying love interest would be logan and i would think he'd be like even worse than he is when he's at yale because he'd be like a teen boy right Mm -hmm. so he'd basically be tristan but it's logan and then logan's a year older than her or whatever so he would graduate chilton and leave like after season one or something and then you see him again at yale and he'd be like changed maybe or maybe not that changed but it would be like oh interesting that he returns much later on in the season and I was thinking about that I mean one because Tristan and him are so similar in terms of appearance and character and life but two I also know that Matt Zucri auditioned for Gilmore Girls before he got the role of Logan Uh, so I think it could be interesting to theoretically think if he had a you know auditioned for Tristan's role and it would then it was Logan and what would that change probably not anything but I just think it's you know interesting yeah (laughs) it would have made their future romance like way more complicated because we would would have had to come to terms with the fact that he treated her so badly at this one point (laughs) yeah Yeah. and if Dean was jealous of Logan at Chilton and then when he shows up again at Yale at the time that Dean and Rory are again, like, involved. It could, like, recur also. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Could be, be cool. The, Just saying. The bane of <laughs> Dean's existence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've barely talked about Dean at all in this episode, which I think is fine. We'll have plenty of mm-hmm. times to talk about him in the coming season. Any other alternate universe theories? My last one is just an observation about the growing... Okay, so to take it back a bit, I listened to a Glee podcast and they have described Ryan Murphy and how Ryan Murphy casts all a lot of the same actors over and over again. And they describe that as the Murphy verse, I think. I think that's what they call it. Yeah. And this is Glee Wine, the podcast. So I'm thinking about like the Palodino verse. Um, like they are just casting a lot mm-hmm. of the same actors over and over again. We were just texting about this, like this season of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel has had so many, including Max Medina, which was like shocking <laughs> to me. I haven't seen that guy in anything in forever. Um, and I just think it really am- amuses me to think about the different characters traveling through the different shows <laughs> and like now kelly bishop has been in all three she's been in gilmore girls bunheads and mazel at this point and it's like she's emily gilmore she was kind of like a leader of a dance studio in bunheads and now she's like a matchmaker mafia kind of person i don't know (laughs) and i just i just want to continue to think about the actors that they continue to cast why those people and how like if there are traces of their different characters throughout the different shows you know I think it's cool I just like to see them again you know (laughs) yeah it's always fun to be watching a show and be able to like point Mm -hmm. out oh I know that actor from this other show that I love Mm -hmm. it kind of gives yeah a continuity between the extreme amounts of tv that we watch (laughs) (laughs) seriously (laughs) Do you know that Jess is going to be in Maisel soon? Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. 
I had no idea. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, I can't imagine what kind of character he'll play. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Someday when we make a Patreon, which just a hint to our listeners, we might be making a Patreon soon. We'll mm-hmm. have more information about that. But we should make we should have a an episode talking about Marvelous Mrs. Maisel because I just thought of some things that I want to talk about. <laughs> I know. Yeah. If you want to see, we'll have lots of I think ideas because yeah. we have interlapping. <laughs> interest in terms of like the bachelor other paladino shows uh you know teen drama shows a lot of things that we think overlap interestingly with gilmore girls as well Mm -hmm. so we we have we have um we have layers you know we're we're complicated (laughs) and i think a patreon can be space for that yeah someday yeah (laughs) we'll work on it so i think that we've done a pretty good job of talking through all of season one um one last thing we wanted to do before uh ending this episode is subject all of our listeners to an extended talking fast where we attempt to talk about all of season one we're giving ourselves one full minute Mm -hmm. um, because we have 21 episodes to cover And we are allowing ourselves brief notes. I have jotted some things down. Uh, Me too. We'll see how this goes. It will likely be a train wreck. Our 32nd one episode ones are never great. So (laughs) we'll see how this goes. But um, Alexis, I think you are up first. Are you prepared? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let me get a timer. All right, and go. Okay, here's the basics of season one. We've got a mother-daughter duo, Rory and Lorelai Gilmore. They've also got parents or grandparents, Richard and Emily. The season starts with an interesting conflict about Lorelai asking for a loan for Rory to go to Chilton. This sets in place Friday night dinners as a family obligation in return for that loan. Many events happen for Rory, including having good times with Lane, getting her first boyfriend, Dean, going through a breakup, surviving sexual harassment from Tristan, getting back together with her boyfriend, Dean. Lorelai also does stuff. She runs an inn. She has good times with Michelle and Sookie. She flirts with Luke, owner of Luke's. She orders and drinks a lot of coffee. She dates Rory's teacher. Then she doesn't. Then she does again. She deals with her ex, Christopher, showing up and much more. Both Lorelai and Rory experience a lot of family drama along the way. In town, other people do stuff. Sookie dates Jackson. Lane has crushes. Mrs. Patty and Babette are cool by existing. And there's a lot of town festivals and meetings. And that is season one. <laughs> oh, that was perfect. <laughs> oh, my God. Mine's not I can't be believe that. that. <laughs> uh, wow. Maybe. Um, I think one minute would be too much for every single episode, but I feel like that would, you really nailed it there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, my mine will not be as good, just to lower expectations. <laughs> It'll just be different. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Go. So Rory's accepted into Chilton. Lorelai needs to find money for that, so she goes to her parents, and they set up an agreement where they pay for Chilton, and Rory and Lorelai go to her parents every week. And this raises some tensions from the past life of uh, Lorelai when she left the Gilmore household when she had Rory. Rory at the same time about is meeting Dean and soon after Lorelai also meets Mr. Medina 
Rory and Dean start to date. They go to a dance and they define their relationship. And Lorelai and Mr. Medina fight over Swan's way and end up breaking up in front of all of Rory's classmates. And then finally, Dean loves Rory, but Rory does not love Dean. <laughs> Tristan uh, harasses Rory constantly. And finally, uh, oh god, uh, Paris and Rory become rivals. And Mr. Medina and Laura like get engaged. And finally, Rory and Dean get back together. And there's a lot that I want to say. Okay. <laughs> I tried to uh. silently say stuff. No, that was good. I liked the more detailed approach. And I didn't even mention Paris, which is a damn shame. I forgot <laughs> about Suki and Jackson, who are my favorites. And Taylor and Stars Hollow in general. <laughs> well, oh God. a minute is a short amount of time. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, also to remind our listeners, um, Every single episode we write an ad uh, that is featured in that episode that is uh, for one of the businesses from the (laughs) show's episode. So if you've been skipping our ads, you've been missing out on some pretty Mm -hmm. great comedy, if I do say so myself. Uh, Yeah, I might be applying (laughs) to work on Saturday Night Live just based on (laughs) my experience writing our ads. (laughs) Yeah, 30 second ads. We can do it. We have a lot of fun <laughs> writing them. We I cut out the laughing, but it does happen. So yeah, um, yeah. I've loved I've loved writing the ads <laughs> this season together. <laughs> yeah, it's been the highlight. Well, one of the highlights. <laughs> but mm-hmm. we're gonna include mm-hmm. our, our favorite ones in this episode um, throughout, so you'll have heard those. Uh, so don't skip the ads. Because we all know the time. we know you made it all the way here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Cool. Uh, I feel like we succeeded in reviewing all of season one i can't believe we've gotten to this point i'm very proud of us thanks to all of Mm -hmm. our listeners to those listeners who are just beginning to listen to us feel free to skip our first four or five episodes they were a little bit rough (laughs) we were assembling the plane as we were flying yeah you know (laughs) but we've learned a lot (laughs) yeah and always feel free to talk to us about anything send us emails or talk to us on instagram our email is talkingfastpodcast at gmail.com instagram or talkingfastpodcast and please send us or write reviews for us on apple podcasts mm-hmm. i think that's it <laughs> well where you lead <laughs> oh, i will follow <laughs> we'll be back on april 19th mm-hmm. talk to you then <laughs> yeah, season two then. Yay. <laughs>